welcome back to the Unicorn Radio Show on the Dash Radio Network. My name is Rahul Sood, and I'm the CEO of Unicorn. And today I have someone super interesting on the show with us. It's Meltem Demirers. Meltem, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, Rahul? I'm doing pretty damn good. I've um, you know been following you on Twitter, and I've seen you in the space. And, you know, you seem to be everywhere. We typically talk to people who are deep into esports or deep into crypto. I know you're deep into crypto. So first, first, let's start with your first introduction to Bitcoin or, you know, just in general crypto. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, I love I call this everyone's crypto origin story. It seems like that's what you ask people in the crypto space. <laughs> it's like, how did you get into this weird fucking crazy world that is crypto am i allowed to curse on the show by the way or is that a no-no no it's completely fine go ahead so bitcoin um i think it was around 2012 i want to say so i actually was really into video games growing up um i got into the internet when i was a kid because of video games my first bitcoin transaction actually happened in a kroger and then i ended up going to mit for grad school and there was a massive bitcoin community there students were running faucets and running mine rigs in their dorm rooms and um just started to get it more and more into it and then by the time 2015 rolled around i was wrapping up grad school thinking about what i wanted to do and i met this guy, Barry Silbert, who was working on this company called Digital Currency Group. And I was like, I might as well. Just a little company. N- yeah, I mean, at bad. that time, we we hadn't really, you know, we were super stealthy. Yeah. It was just a bunch of different assets that were being combined into this new entity. Um, and so I was like, you know what? What's the worst thing that could happen? I sort of want to get into what did you do at DCG? And you know, because I know, I know, like for, for those who don't know, if you don't know what DCG is, you should look it up. It, DCG is one of the you know largest companies in the space, and they have they have a, a lot of different assets under them. So maybe you can kind of explain that, and then um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so Digital Currency Group or DCG is where I spent the last three years. Um, we are a company. We're not a fund, but a lot of what we do is focused on investing. And really the overarching idea was if digital currencies are a new asset class, if crypto is a new technology innovation, then how do we create really a network and an ecosystem and a platform to help this industry grow and evolve? And that was really what I came to DCG to do um, with Barry Silbert, the founder and CEO. And what we really focused on in my part of the business, which was DCG, the parent company, was investing in startups and investing in digital currencies directly. And so in 2015, the narrative really was about Bitcoin. No one really used the word blockchain, which is interesting. When the word blockchain was used, it was in the context of the Bitcoin blockchain, um, capital B, capital V. And then I think in late 2015, with the launch of R3, and a number of companies were focused more on the application of people like to call the blockchain to the financial services industry, this whole era of private blockchain companies was born. Um, And then Bitcoin was kind of boring for a long time. Um, It was really a rough time to be in Bitcoin because the price wasn't really moving much. It was fairly stable, which was great for companies because it enabled people to focus on building rather than constantly engaging in this price narrative, which we seem to be back to today. Uh, And then I think in 2017, like things just exploded. And so we now have, I left DCG a few weeks ago, um, we had 112 portfolio companies, primarily equity investments, but increasingly token investments. Um, What's fascinating is fully a third of that portfolio of companies had done ICOs or fundraised through a token sale or participation in a token issuance. And we also have this big portfolio of digital currencies that we hold. And that you know started as 100% Bitcoin, but over time has gotten diversified. I would say the focus is still really on Bitcoin. There's still a lot of conviction around Bitcoin. But the idea really was, how do we build this amazing network? So I spent most of my time working with our 110 portfolio companies, um, regulators, investors, corporates, our subsidiaries, and really figuring out how to help these companies grow and scale. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I'd like to hear what your examples of inefficiencies in the crypto space are. You know, how do we address and resolve some of these inefficiencies? Inefficiency number one is just connectivity between all of the financial infrastructure in this space. So if you think about trading, um, even as a retail trader, if you think about it in the institutional context, markets are really illiquid. Markets are really inefficient. There is a lot of um, pricing discrepancies or if you view it opportunities price arbitrage opportunities between platforms. Platforms are often down, they're insecure, they're poorly constructed, meaning that you can't trade using a fixed API. Most quoting is done using request for quote instead of streams. Like the infrastructure in the crypto space is still really, really young. But I think also we we haven't seen a lot of people cross over from the institutional side into crypto land. So a lot of what's been built has kind of been optimized for security and certain features that the crypto community really cares about, but it hasn't really addressed the unique needs of institutional traders or large institutions who want to touch crypto, but today can't. And so I think those are things like custodial solutions, risk management solutions, treasury management solutions, working capital lending. There are just a lot of structural inefficiencies in the crypto market that people are now starting to build around, um, but there's still so much opportunity and so much inefficiency there. So that's one. I think the second is just how people view portfolio management. I come from the world of applied math and quantitative finance. So, you know, how do you benchmark performance of a portfolio? How do you think about indexing? How do you think about the opportunity cost of capital when you're investing in different projects or cryptocurrencies? These are things that are very much, I think, anyone has really been spending a lot of time developing that body of knowledge. And so I've been spending a lot of time on this fun experiment I call the potato fund. Right. <laughs> I saw that. I was going to ask yeah. about that as well. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I love playing and exploring new ideas. So for me, it's, you know, it's 4am. I have a random idea. And what I love about crypto is like at 4am, I had this idea for a portfolio I could put together to test a very specific concept. And I just went on Bittrex go bill. Um, and I put the portfolio together. I also use Binance and KuCoin, um, which I really like and a little bit of Ether Delta, but um, it's, it's so fun. So I think this idea of how we develop the body of knowledge of what responsible and pragmatic and, and risk managed investing in the crypto space looks like is a really fun one for me to spend time on. Um, Cause I get to flex lots of different muscles and I get to go back to making really fun models, which <laughs> as, you know, an applied math person, I love my spreadsheets and linear algebra. So it's been great. And then I think the third area where I'm spending a lot of time is really the antithesis of the first two things I talked about, which is the world of decentralized financial infrastructure. So relay protocols, decentralized exchanges, decentralized order books, um, just thinking about all of the different ways that we could construct infrastructure for the crypto ecosystem outside of the boundaries that regulators have set. And I think this becomes really interesting because I spent the last three years trying to help companies jam themselves into this regulatory box that was designed, you know, three decades ago, four decades ago. And it just doesn't work. And I think I agree. I I agree completely. You know this like better than anyone. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, actually, when you try and apply, you know, 100-year-old laws to something that's just so new. I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I almost think that there has to be, um, you know, a, a good consortium of people, a good operators in the space who, who understand why regulation should exist, you know, to protect consumers and and try to educate regulators on it because it is frustrating trying to take old laws and apply them to this. It's just, you just can't do that. So, um, absolutely. But I think part of that is also um, a little bit of red pill, blue pill. So I think some people have said, look, I'm going to try to take my business and fit it into this existing box. And I definitely believe that innovation and change is a spectrum. So you start at point A and you get to point B, but it's never a linear progression. Right. It's a little bit um, there's lateral movement and then there's exponential movement and then things disintegrate a bit. So it's it's never a straight line. And I think that's been part of the fun, but also the challenge for crypto companies who have been at it for four or five years. I really admire their tenacity. Um, But then I think the other piece is also regulators 
little bit slower to move or historically they have been. And I think some of them are trying to change and evolve, but look at how Uber built its business model. Look at how Airbnb built its business model. They didn't go to regulators and ask for permission. They just did it. And then when they got too big to shut down, regulators adapted to that business model. And so yeah, I mean, part of part of this is like, let's break some stuff. Maybe that's exactly. the wrong thing to say. <laughs> no, no, no. That's exactly the right thing to say. I mean, you have to break things in order to, you know, to 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 make things uh, work. Like for example, in our space in esports, there was um, there was something called skin gambling, where you know skins are basically virtual items that you can buy in video games and there was kind of like um, aftermarket trading systems for these skins. And, um, you know, because there's no regulation in the space, there were sites in Eastern Europe that were doing basically allowing kids to take their skins and, and gamble with them playing games like dice and roulette online. It was horrible. Um, you know, they, they went on an extremely different ta uh, sort of a tactic, not, not just breaking things. They actually just broke the law. Um, but effectively what happened was the, the turnover in the space was so high, it was over $2 billion. It caught the attention of regulators to come in and, uh, and start, you know, help, like helping to shut things down. Um, in the case of, in the case of crypto, however, you know, when, when you talk about like, there's, there's, uh, there's operators out there that are kind of new to the space that are, you know, good companies that are building real things, uh, you know, real projects. There's people that have been in the space for years that are, you know, that are also uh, building good projects. But then there's a ton of scams. I mean, there's there's so many, um, you know, shit coins out there. Um, and <laughs> hey, it, <laughs> hey, I love my shit coins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, there's there's you know, I, I look, I, I think that. If, if you look at, say, the 2,000 coins that are out there, I think through the process of elimination, the, the, the coins with real usage and, you know, real quality, you know, like customers and, um, you know, and applications and that sort of thing are just going to, by default, um, just on, on the basis of, of elimination, right? The process of elimination will come in. But, 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 but wait a minute, Rahul. I yeah. want I want to just jump in here because sure. one of the things that really attracted me to Bitcoin early on was this idea of permissionless systems, right? And permissionless mm -hmm. networks. And I think the spirit of cryptocurrencies, what keeps me here and what keeps me, you know, fighting and <laughs> going in every day um, is the fact that we're building something truly amazing that throughout the course of human history has never really existed, which is a permissionless financial system. And so I kind of take issue with people saying, oh, well, shit coins, they're not real. There's no real use case. Look, a lot of the stuff out there, subjectively speaking, I would agree with you, doesn't necessarily have a use today. But objectively speaking, I think one of the beautiful things here is that value is in the eye of the beholder. And we've created the system, whether it's good or bad, whether it's going to implode or not, what we're testing is this idea of whether or not permissionless financial innovation can in fact coexist with the world that we live in, which is governed by rules and laws. And so I don't want to be too quick to judge shit coins um, because I think there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into evaluating these things. And like, look, I'm going to say something that's maybe not so nice, but <laughs> there are a lot of projects that have raised a shit ton of money from really well-respected investors. And a lot of them, yep. I've read the white papers. I don't get it. Maybe I'm dumb, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't get it. And the reason they're able to be called quote unquote good projects is because of the founders, their pedigrees, their backgrounds, their white dudes who went to Stanford, they interned at Google, whatever. Right. Then um, they have good VCs on board, right? So it's a whole marketing maelstrom that's created around these projects. And then they have a pseudo intellectual narrative that appeals to a certain type of individual that's around quote unquote decentralization, which I want to get to, because I think that's such an overused bullshit. I agree. Word. I, I, no, I agree. But look, I agree. A lot of those yeah. projects, people are like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm like, this is a shit coin. But the only yeah. reason you're not calling it a shit coin is because it was generated in Silicon Valley and got a lot of hype. And then there are a ton of projects out in Eastern Europe or in Asia that I think are doing really innovative things, but they're founded by people who aren't well-known entities. They're backed by investors who maybe don't have the same brand recognition. So I think the 
differentiation between projects and their caliber based on social capital and hype and marketing is really prevalent today. And I think it leads to a lot of and missed calls on projects that I think will be truly innovative. No, look, I, I agree with that. I mean, I agree that projects shouldn't be judged based on the guy who graduated from Stanford and lives in, in Silicon Valley. I mean, 100% agree with that. However, you know, I think that there are there are real scams out there. I mean, look, BitConnect is a, is a good example of a scam. There's, you know, there's things like USI Tech and, and, and these guys are going out there and selling something that just isn't real. And they're preying on people in, you know, places like Indonesia and India and China. And like, you know, they're they're they're, they're preying on people by uh, bringing in these or uh, lack of a better description, these like really exciting English speaking evangelists that come in and drop names and do all this stuff and, and try and get people to to uh, buy their 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 coin on the promise that they're going to make, you know, tons of money. And 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 this is a problem like this. This to me uh, is, is is an example of why, you know, shit coins are risky and they threaten the rest of the ecosystem as well as their users. Like when you look at the way the market's reacting right now, for example, right? I mean, uh, yes, there's been many corrections with Bitcoin. And, you know, I've been following Bitcoin for, for, for years as well and reading the corrections and it's typical. And, you know, I'm a firm, I'm a long believer in Bitcoin. I think it's only going up, but there's always going to be corrections along the way. And right now we're, you know, we're, we're sort of recovering from a major correction and altcoins are lagging. But I think that Ethereum is an amazing platform. And I think that these shit coins create downward pressure in the space and create downward pressure on Ethereum. But over time, I'm hoping that it cleans up and I'm hoping that people get smarter and stay away from this stuff and not get involved in these pump and dump schemes because it's it's actually hurting the credibility of our space. That's my opinion. I don't know what you of think. Of course, right. Yeah. But I think part of this is where, again, um, our ecosystem needs to work together to number one, work on education and advocacy. So a lot of us are so busy building stuff that we don't remember that one of our roles is to really educate people. This is an entirely new category of technology, of assets. And one of the things that happens when you create a new category is you spend a lot of time educating and creating subcategories within that category. And I think that's something we're seeing projects like Token Daily and Masari and others that are really focused on ratings and news and, and analysis of these different projects try to address. But I think that's part of the growth of a new ecosystem. Look at railroads, right? There were a ton of railroad stock scams. And I'm not saying it's right. And I 100% agree with you that it's terrible for our ecosystem. And I fully empathize with people who are, are the victims of these scams. But I, but I think this is normal, right? Anytime there's a massive boom of wealth creation due to new technology, inevitably snake oil salesmen and scammers are going to show up because it's an easy way to make money off of a highly fragmented market that's serving largely uneducated or undereducated consumers. I think that's part of this, the cycle. And so to me, the question is not let's dismiss things categorically, which is I think what a lot of investors fall into is let's just categorically dismiss everything that isn't X, Y, Z, or doesn't look black or white. There's right. a lot of gray in there. So it's how do we as an industry help people evaluate all the stuff that's in that gray space um, and help people make more informed. What's cool about crypto to me is like there's an element of personal responsibility here. Owning a crypto asset means that you're personally responsible for custodying and managing that crypto asset. That's the view I believe in. And that's probably a little bit Bitcoin maximalist of me, but <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where we're headed. And so part of this is, look, if you want to participate in this crypto boom, you owe it to yourself to spend the time to do the work and to, to learn about it um, because that's the responsibility you personally are taking on. No one else can do that for you, which is why I detest it when people ping me and they're like, what shit coins are you buying? What should I buy? I'm like, look, there is no way to make a quick buck. If you want to invest, if you want to participate in this ecosystem, do yourself a favor and, and learn. That's the way you're going to make better decisions. Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. And I, I generally agree with, uh, with, with that point. I think, um, yeah, I, I get asked all the time, what are you buying and that sort of thing. And I, I don't make recommendations. I've, I've learned from, from many, many years of, uh, of mistakes and I, I just don't do that. But, but I, I am, I, I am a believer that there are some, you know, some real quality 
um, projects and coins out there that that need to be unearthed that are probably buried underneath the you know somewhere in the 2000 list um, and uh, and people just need to learn about them read about them you know do the research and and just avoid hype uh, avoid you know the the pump and dump stuff um, you know that, that's just that's the kind of thing that drives me nuts and I, I think what, what needs you, to happen wait, Rahul, do you yeah. see the conflict between what you're saying though it's mutually exclusive regulation needs to adapt yes uh for the reason that you know i believe look i'm in a i'm in an industry that's highly regulated right when we started part of our business is, is selling odds and data to gambling companies you know and and you can't do that illegally unless you're licensed unless you're dealing with regulators in in the most extreme ways so when we started our token we built from the grounds up a, a platform that allows us to sell tokens like a regulated business should. Um, but, but with that said, it's not mutually exclusive. What, what I'm saying is regulators need to adapt like the, you know, the, 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 the Howey test or, you know, what's happening in Switzerland, for example, is a good example of, of how regulators are adapting, you know, to this new economy. And the purpose of regulation is to protect consumers because you still we still need to protect consumers. Otherwise, uh, these things will continue to happen. These USI techs and and uh, you know BitConnects and that sort of thing will will just continue to happen freely, and it hurts the entire space. It it, it, totally. it creates a, and 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 so on that point, you know. You, you mentioned Barry earlier. Um, he he was in an interview recently. R- really great panel, actually. He did our uh, fireside chat, and he said that most coins would go to zero. What do you yeah. think of that? I disagree. <laughs> I think we have different views on the on the world and the world of crypto assets. And I think a lot of that goes back to our views on the world in general. So I'm a big believer in mental models. And I really like a lot of the um, things Charlie Munger has said. I read the Farnham Street blog regularly as well. And they've done a lot of great writing around mental models and how they shape people's views. I think one of the cool things about crypto and being in this ecosystem is that my mental models are constantly challenged. And what I've adopted as kind of a mantra for myself is if I'm not uncomfortable, if I'm not feeling conflicted in some way all the time, then I'm doing something wrong. Because I think crypto is really pushing the boundaries of what we believe is permissible, acceptable, possible, which is exciting. Um, so if I think about the background Barry comes from, I mean, he created Second Market, which was a platform to enable trading and liquidity in markets that were highly illiquid. And so he spent so much time in Washington, D.C., working on the Jobs Act, working with regulators, everything we've done at DCG, thank goodness, has always been heavily regulated, compliant. We think about everything from a risk management perspective first. And massive kudos to him. I fully respect that that's his view of the world. I think my view of the world over the last three years has just evolved a bit. I don't think that everything is going to happen within the confines of what is and isn't regulated. I do think that tokens and tokenization bring a lot of value to the world. I do think that tokenization is going to be a massive theme over the next five to 10 years. And so I think his experiences as an entrepreneur running regulated businesses in financial markets have led him to a certain worldview. And I can 100% see why he has that view. I just think my views of the world have evolved over time, as I've seen time and time again, all of the ways that cryptocurrencies and the entrepreneurs I work with and tokens have just completely shattered all of the views I had of the world. So am I allowed to ask this? How old are you? I'm in my early 30s. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good. That's a, a good indication of you know your your, your worldview aligns with a lot of the younger uh, people out there, and that's in I say that in the uh, it it sounds like I'm being condescending, but I'm not. I I, yeah. I, I, I it's it's very idealistic, but it's also uh, you know it's also the type of attitude that helps people like me think about how do we break things or how, how do we you know adapt. Oh, I mean. I d- I don't think it's idealistic. If we go back, right, I finished university in the throes of the financial crisis. I have spent most of my career working in financial institutions and corporate finance um, on trading desks. I've seen firsthand how scammy our financial markets are. 
you know, there's a lot of inefficiency. There's a lot of fragmentation. There are a lot of different ways that people are taking advantage of rules, regulations, loopholes. No, you're, you're, you know what? You hit it on the head. I think that's exactly right. I think it's funny that you, you know, you say that because, you know, I look at people always ask me, why do you think Bitcoin is, is worth, you know, much more than what it is right now? And, and, you know, you, you think about what the, what the, Winklevoss twins have said, and and they, you know, they have a really good perspective on this as well. They say, you know, the gold market is a seven trillion dollar market. Bitcoin is something like three hundred million, or maybe maybe like maybe three to five hundred million. You know, um, and and uh, gold, quite frankly, I think if if people were to call in their gold trading, which trades under the guise of regulated, you know, it's it's traded under regulation. Um, I think people would realize that gold might be the biggest Ponzi scheme that ever existed, right? And and it's and it's uh, and it's and it's quote unquote regulated. So I, I completely agree. But but when Barry said most coins would go to zero, I, I you know you th- you're saying you disagree. But but if you look at the two thousand coins that are out there, are you suggesting that you know the majority of them will 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 be you know worth something? Well- or that statement, right? So I think there are two different things that are going on in that statement. So one, I do believe that we will see um, a convergence or a collapsing, depending on how you view it, of all of these different protocols and ways of approaching the same types of things like file sharing, like namespacing, and we'll see it collapse into more common architectures. And I don't think we'll have more than maybe a half dozen, a dozen, at most two dozen architectures. So I think from a technology perspective, we will see um, aggregation and consolidation around core architectures and core protocol designs and consensus designs. And so I think that's one theme. But I think what's interesting is right now we're living in a world where tokens are to some extent, completely decoupled from the actual protocol and the value, the implementation of that protocol in a distributed network is creating. And one of the interesting things that I always think about is tokens are kind of like digital beanie babies. So for example, I, I always love to pick on Augur and I mean no disrespect, but I think it is, it is an interesting example. I bought Augur in the crowd sale in 2015 it's now 2018 and there have been periodic development updates and they do a great job writing a, a weekly newsletter. But in that time, Augur has continued to trade even though no actual project has been deployed. And there are probably better examples, but tokens are effectively digital beanie babies that can be traded into perpetuity. So even if there is no real value underlying a token, um, it can still continue to trade it. And I think this is a really interesting philosophical question about the relationship between tokens and the protocols that they're a part of is if the protocol is no longer being upgraded, if it's no longer under active development, if the project for all intents and purposes is no longer an active project, the token can still continue to trade. And I think this is one of the really interesting sort of paradigm shifts that we're in is we're seeing the decoupling in some cases of the actual underlying protocol, the implementation of that protocol as a network, the applications built on top of that protocol, that can be completely decoupled from the value of the token. And so I think as the market starts to mature and as things start to evolve, it'll be interesting to see what happens to those 2000 tokens. So we've seen forks happening, right? Where a protocol will split in two and all of a sudden you have assets on both chains and this leads to a proliferation of tokens. And I certainly think in 2018, we're going to see a lot more forking because it's a really effective way to distribute your tokens widely to a large audience of people who already care about crypto. It's really smart if you think about bootstrapping and growth. Um, But when are we going to see the opposite of forking, which is where we take two or three or four protocols or networks and watch them converge into one? And I think that'll really be when we test this idea of whether or not tokens truly ever go to zero. Because you can trade these assets 24-7 and into perpetuity. And with the launch of decentralized exchanges, now there really is no barometer as to whether or not something is a quote-unquote shitcoin. It's really a true free market. So I think that's, I just view it slightly differently. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. So you're viewing it very much like, as a matter of fact, still trade the coin, even something, you know, even like BitConnect, for example, can continue to trade. So fair point. Um let me let me switch gears just a little bit. Um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that that you're from Turkey, and you know, we talked a little bit about um, 
how how crypto we talked actually earlier before we even got on this about uh you know anarchy and 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 crypto uh, from a decentralized standpoint what it means what what do you think about um how does crypto's growth uh affect politics and 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 in fact in in political situations where things are let's say unstable or in a in a period of change um what do you think crypto does for you know for the world that's a really interesting question. I find that engaging in politics makes me angry and I don't like being angry. And so I haven't spent much time on politics as of late, but I would say one of my motivations and, and passions for being a part of the cryptocurrency ecosystem is, I suppose, overtly political, which is that I believe that should have financial privacy. I think actually that's one of the most important things we have, actually we don't have today, but we should have that cryptocurrency provides is the ability and the means to transact with anyone, anywhere for anything. I mean, that's the spirit of a true barter economy. That's kind of how humankind started forming communities was on this principle of bartering and trading and of assigning value based on the collective beliefs of a society or a tribe. And I think that's what makes crypto so interesting to me is we collectively as people, not just creating things, not just operators, but if you invest in crypto, if you own, you know, $10 of Bitcoin, you're part of the crypto ecosystem. You're part of this political ideological shift um, and this belief that financial privacy and self-sovereignty in some degree of personal responsibility and independence is is really valuable. So I think crypto is a is certainly a tool. I think um, what's happening now in Venezuela with the issuance of the the Petro. I was just going to ask you about the Petro. Yeah, I saw you tweet about it as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, how does that impact the fungibility of Ethereum if they're raising money in Ether? Um, That's it's so fascinating, right? So a country that's sanctioned is raising money for this crazy asset called a Petro, and they're raising it in cryptocurrencies. But what does that mean for fungibility? Because if the Venezuelan government is then going to turn around and sell Ether and Bitcoin back into the market, what does that mean for OFAC regulations against right. sanctioned countries? Like it, It's just such a fun, interesting, nuanced question. And that's what I love about crypto is every day, there are thousands of questions and issues I talk through with people working on projects or investing that are so it's just fun to peel apart the many layers. And I want to talk about decentralization. Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about decentralization. Before we do that, though, when you talk about Petro, um, you know, I I think that I think what's what's inevitable is you, you may not be able to stop a sanctioned country from selling a crypto and using an open platform to do it, but, you know, potentially you can stop exchanges from, from supporting it. Uh, and now if it's a decentralized exchange, it's a different story, but you can also stop individuals from trading it. If an individual trades a sanctioned country token, maybe, maybe they're liable for something. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I think, I think this is the point of, you can't take hundred-year-old laws and apply them to this. You have to rethink the law in general. And and does does it even make sense? Um, I I think this is fascinating. I, I I think the fact that they're you know that Venezuela is doing this is 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 kind of unreal. It's it's yeah it's surreal <laughs> and it's also uh, and it's also um, you know an, 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 Isn't fun. I I think part of, <laughs> I don't my fun. life mantra yeah. it has been for the last I don't know two years has been zero fucks given. I'm really trying to not good shit get me down. And part of that is dismissing all of these notions that we've been conditioned with most of our lives in the schooling system and and um, in the way that we're raised and the way society sort of dictates what is and isn't acceptable. Like, don't obey that mental model you were given. Right. Try, a, try a new mental model. And I think that's what's so fun about crypto is yeah. it's so fascinating. And there are, I don't think there are a lot of right answers. There's a a spectrum. I don't think in crypto, there are a lot of things that are clearly black and white. And the fun part is you get to assimilate all sorts of information, talk to all sorts of really interesting people with really fascinating backgrounds who are clearly extremely intelligent in very different ways. And then you get to come up with your own conclusion. Based on that, you vote with your 
money, right? You can decide, do I want to hold Bitcoin or Bitcoin cash? Do I want to buy Petros or not? I think it's just a really, really fun, fascinating thing to be working on. And if you're not having fun, then what is the point? Yeah, I I, I hear you. I I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm so, so, so let's get into that, that decentralization versus centralized, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of in the middle. I'm, I'm on the fence. Um, I, I believe in, uh, in, in, in the idea of, of a decentralized ecosystem. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm also, um, you know, an advocate for, uh, certain centralized applications. For example, when, when Unicorn uh, built our platform, p- part of our intention is to create, uh, well, not intention, part of our platform, which is actually running, uh, we created decentralized applications where people can play video games and earn our tokens. They can earn both Unicorn Gold and Unicorn Silver, um, and then they can use them on a centralized platform to do things like, for example, betting on esports. The reason we did it that way is, um, well, Number one, on a, on a centralized platform, we can deal with things like AML and KYC. Uh, and number two is we wanted to create an internal blockchain to deal with um, high-speed transactions and no gas fees. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a simple thing. I mean, when you're watching a game and you want to place 10 bets in a game, you can't wait uh, you know, uh, five minutes for a, for a bet to take place because the blockchain is slow. It has to be instant. And you don't want to pay transaction fees each time you do it. So, so we did it out of a business need. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, I mean, I don't know, I think probably the biggest bubble in the space is the conference bubble, right? I mean, I think there's, <laughs> there, there, there's more conferences out there. I've turned down so many now. I, I, I don't know how many you go to, but I'm getting conferenced out. Um, and every time you yeah. go to them, you see these, you know, you see a lot of talk, uh, speakers, um, m- many of the same people uh, using, you know, words like decentralization and anarchy and, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and, and regulation. Through yeah, democratization. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts? What does decentralization mean to you as a word? Yeah. So, so to me, decentralization means that there is a, uh, at least for, for us, that there is no dependence on the, uh, you know, the, the core company or, you know, the people that sort of created the project to begin with, where, where it gets, where, where the dependence uh, gets distributed so that if, if the entity disappears, uh, a decentralized application can continue to run. That's what decentralization means to me. Got it. Okay, so I think most people, when you ask them that same question, will have wildly different answers. So I think decentralization is this word that has gotten used and people found, hey, if I put decentralization on my pitch deck, and I think the the graphic you always see is the one about um, distributed computing systems where it's centralized, distributed, decentralized, you know, the one with like the little dots and the lines connecting them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I know what I'm about. Yep. <laughs> You've probably seen it so many times. That I've, seen, I've seen it a thousand times, and I can promise you that you know a lot of the people who put that in their white paper don't know what they're talking about. So fuck yeah. that means yeah, exactly. exactly that and um, Metcalf's law. If I see Metcalf's law in another white paper, <laughs> I am going to do something crazy. Like, come on, try harder, people. (laughs) Okay, so I think decentralization is one of these words that gets thrown around. And a lot of people talk about, well, oh, this project's not a good project because it's not decentralized. What does that mean? Okay, so when I think about decentralization, I want to go back to kind of this mental construct I used earlier, which is there's the protocol, which is really development, right? It's technical development, and it's the rules of the system or the protocol. Then there's the network, which is the implementation of the protocol. So it's actually running the software. So in the case of Bitcoin, the network is miners and people who run nodes. And then there's applications built on top of the network, right? So it's protocol, network, applications. So when I think of decentralization, I think of it in the context of those three layers. So a protocol that's quote unquote decentralized, to me, that means where development and discourse on how the protocol develops is open and anyone can contribute and participate. So if I look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin's not that decentralized. There's the bit process, but it's a pretty rigorous process in making changes to the Bitcoin protocol for better or for worse. Um, And I'm not going to comment on the politics of Bitcoin. Um, There's specific rules and, and, you know, protocol development is is not that decentralized. It's a fairly centralized group of people. 
that, you know, tries its best to be meritocratic, but I do think it gets inherently political. We look at the Ethereum ecosystem. The protocol development side of Ethereum is not at all decentralized. Um, I look at what happened with the DAO hard fork, and I hold Ether, and I think the Ethereum network is valuable. But at the protocol level, I think it's really a misnomer to say Ethereum is decentralized when you have a group of people who can roll back an entire blockchain. That's kind of wild to me, yeah, um, regardless, of, regardless of what the decisions are. And then you look at all these other projects that are raising money and they're like, oh, this is going to be fully decentralized. And it's like three or four people contributing to the code base. Um, I think this word decentralized at the protocol level is just really hard to judge. What makes development and what makes protocol changes decentralized versus distributed versus centralized? That's that's something that I don't think people have really spent time thinking about in a quantified um objective sort of way. It's highly subjective. And I find the word decentralized or not decentralized gets thrown around almost as a weapon, like it's used as a tool of war rather than an actual objective judgment. And that really bothers me. Then yeah. in the networking layer, right, when you talk about the actual implementation of the protocol as software and hardware, um, what you find is like, no, it's definitely not decentralized. Bitcoin mining is highly centralized. Um, Ethereum mining is highly centralized. All of these things at the networking layer are really, really centralized, which is why I think something like what Bram Cohen's working on with Chia, Proof of Space and Time, is really interesting because you could actually take and run it really widely across millions, if not billions of devices, right? That's what was done with BitTorrent. That was the biggest piece of decentralized open source software that was ever implemented as a network. So I think that idea is really interesting. So at the networking layer, how wide distribution makes protocols more and networks more resilient. And I think that's a big hurdle that we as an ecosystem have to overcome. And then I think about it at the application layer, which is really like you look at the distribution of platforms in the crypto space and you know something like a coinbase probably custodies or holds five percent of the world's bitcoin that to me is massively problematic then you look at the actual distribution of tokens in most protocols the majority of wealth is controlled by a really really small number of people so in an economic sense none of these things are decentralized or widely distributed and i think people are experimenting with new models like airdrops or or forks or what earn.com is doing where you can now use their platform to airdrop tokens to anyone who has an earn.com account. I think people are trying to think about decentralization in different ways, but there hasn't, I haven't seen anyone really effectively and objectively argue the merits of decentralization and then also prove it out. I, so that's I, one. So I think it's a weapon that people use and it's a really, really shitty weapon to use. Right. Right. Um, I, I think of it as a uh, as a marketing, uh, you know, a marketing word more than anything, a buzzword. Now, I've seen, you know, way too many people talk about decentralization and they don't really know what it means. Um, and, and quite honestly, you know, in, in even in our space, there's uh, there's, uh, you know, companies or groups out there that are using um, uh, blockchain and decentralization as a way to avoid uh, not just um, you, you know, like for, for example, we use we use decentralization or, or we use blockchain, I should say, as a way to disrupt banking. Um, you know, when we first got on blockchain, we started to think about how do we expand our business. Uh, we were solving a problem for expanding our business across Europe without dealing with multiple banks and multiple currencies. I mean, it's a nightmare. Right. But well, with, with crypto, we can problem, do that. Right? Yeah, so that's with, a with crypto. Problem. Right. It's a distribution problem. So, so we can do that with crypto. We can, we, you know, with the proper AML and KYC processes in place, we can make it happen. And, and, and that's exactly why we went down the blockchain route. However, there's other companies in the space that are saying, we're going to use it to, um, to bypass regulation. So, you know, for example, you can, you can gamble on a platform uh, using, you know, using a token or using a cryptocurrency, and we don't have to worry about regulation because it's decentralized. Well, that's just not true. I mean, because jail sucks and, you know, the people that created it can go to jail and 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 then the platform can be worthless. If there's if, if, if somebody is not developing on the platform because they're in jail, you know, then the idea that that's a decentralized platform is just it's just not a reality. So to me, decentralization is 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 far overused. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I do think 
it's a myth. I think it's, I, I really do believe that. I think it's exactly. a myth. Exactly. Because yeah. the, the fundamental reason, like if you look at human development over time, if you look at the way that animal behavior works, I'm a huge nerd. I apologize in advance. <laughs> I'm going to talk about some weird shit now. But if you look at the way that um, we've evolved as a society, like we are group animals and the fundamental problems we're solving with the, the institutions we've built over the last three millennia are problems of human coordination and collaboration. And that's the biggest challenge. That's, I think, the biggest challenge for protocols who really try to push, quote unquote, decentralization is for something to succeed at scale. And in order to build a really effective network, you need human coordination and collaboration. And inherently, human and coordination and collaboration requires organizations and institutions. And this is where you see um, token investing to some degree becomes a lot like venture investing because every project that I've personally invested in, everything's great at the early stages, but the minute they try to grow and scale and push the edges of that network beyond their initial community, it's really challenging because all of a sudden you start to need organizational structure, which is antithetical in some ways to the idea of decentralization. So I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to be chasing this dream of decentralization. I think we need to be more specific in what we're trying to decentralize. If it comes to more widely distributing economic incentives and creating more equality so that power is unevenly concentrated, I'm in, in support of that. But I don't think the way you accomplish that is by decentralizing everything. And right. so I think this is just part of the rhetoric, um, unfortunately, that the crypto ecosystem has fallen into. There's a lot of this pseudo intellectual talk around like, oh, we're decentralizing and democratizing access to the financial system. And I'm like, like, wait a minute, let's parse that a bit more, because that's actually not true at all. Categorically, that's false. We're enriching a small group of insiders who own the majority of this asset um, by basically passing bag holding off to less educated and less informed consumers, which yeah. is what you were sort of talking about with shit coins. But I think, again, what I really find lacking in the current conversation around crypto is that degree of specificity and the nuance that I think is really critical to context. But also, like if we keep going up on stages and having these pseudo-intellectual conversations that are really, as sometimes I listen to people talk, sometimes I listen to myself talk, and I'm like, what did I just say? And then it's a sign I can't go to any more crypto conferences for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Like, they're putting LSD in the Kool-Aid or something, <laughs> crypto crack. Um, so... I, I just think we have to, as stewards of this ecosystem, as people who represent this ecosystem, as people who talk about cryptocurrencies, we all owe it to ourselves to exercise nuance and specificity when we speak about things like decentralization, because without the degree of specificity and intellectual rigor, I think we very quickly start to lose the the ethos and and the reasons for why we all got into this and it starts to become very hypey and very marketing driven and i really think like 99% of people i meet have really good intentions they are here for the right reasons they just haven't really figured out how to express it with a more hated rhetoric than decentralization yeah. so yeah Yep. Do the homework, take the time, figure out the narrative. Um, but it's important that we get it right. It's just, it's shameful when people sit up there and they're like, well, decentralization, <laughs> lightning network, side chain, drive chain, Ethereum, crypto kitties. I'm like, no, that's yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. Not helping. Yeah, Sorry, I'm I, throwing shade. I I throw a little bit of shade from time to time. <laughs> no, I, I look. I think you're saying everything that I. Uh, we could go on on and on about this, and I I agree with everything you're saying there. Look, we have uh, we've we've almost run out of time. Um, I've I've got a, a ton more questions for you. This conversation has been super interesting. Um, I have I have just one uh, last thing I want to ask you. I'm in gaming, as you know. Women in gaming are are growing. Women in esports are growing. We'd like to see more women come into the competitive side, but but it's coming. I just wanted to know, and this might be anecdotal, but it seems to me there's more women in crypto than than generally than general areas of tech. Am I wrong or am I right? I think you're probably right. I think also women in crypto are super vocal, and um, a lot of us really. Are, have a tight-knit network where we help each other, we promote one another. I think in general, women in crypto are much more collaborative. And I found just the crypto ecosystem is far more collaborative than most. So I think that's a function of that visibility you're seeing as well. 
because um, there is okay. a lot of advocacy. Like in the last three years, I've had a ton of people in the crypto space, whether male or female, really help me um, promote me, be an advocate for me. And so I think, and I now do that with the platform I have, and I think there are a lot of other people who are doing that. So I think in general, um, the crypto community is just about abundance and sharing with one another. I think most of us view this not as a zero sum game, but as a, you know, some of the parts is greater than what part, wait, what am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying no, to use I, an idiot, I, but I'm doing it poorly. No, I, <laughs> so I, 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 think, I, yeah, I, I, I know what better. you're saying. And I think, yeah, sorry. But I also, but I think the big thing about crypto, again, what I want to go back to is I do think in a lot of ways it's a meritocracy. And so I think just showing up somewhere and, and this is something I struggle with because I want to promote, I write a blog called um, the future collective. That's all about women in the crypto ecosystem. Um, We're doing a bunch of other cool stuff this year to try to get more women involved, to try to give women more um, visible sort of platforms through which to talk about their views on what's happening in crypto. But I do think it's a meritocracy. Like if you're in this ecosystem, you have to be smart. You have to think fast. You have to think critically. And if you don't, people are going to respond to that. I think people respond to conflict in different ways. I happen to love conflict, if that's not already apparent from the conversation we've just had. I don't mind when people question me, um, question my perspective, question my viewpoint. I don't mind having a long heated discussion about, I guess, a more esoteric or a more mathematical or technology or engineering oriented topic. But I think for some people that can be a bit off putting. I think crypto certainly evolved beyond that, but I do think it's still a meritocracy and it's in a community where ideas are kind of vociferously debated. And so I think part of it's also helping people just get that confidence to feel like they can participate in those dialogues and their voice matters. Um, But I think collectively as an ecosystem, we've done, I would say, a pretty good job ensuring that not just women, but people from all walks of life can participate. If this is going to be this open, collaborative, decentralized (laughs) ecosystem, then it has to be representative of all sorts of people from the LGBTQI community and from various parts of the world and from different professional backgrounds and different educational disciplines or maybe people who have no professional training at all. Like It has to be open and permissive in all of the ways that we can imagine those words. And so, um, you know, I think we've all been trying to foster collaboration and more diversity and just trying to be advocates for people who are starting to make their way. Melton, you are uh, pretty w- well connected. You've been super helpful with Unicorn and Unicorn Gold uh, during your time at DCG. And, you know, even now you're still you're still very much involved in the community. Rahul, we appreciate you. Should we that. disclose that I'm an investor, that I own Uni- Unicorn Gold? Is that- yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, but yes. Disclosure and transparency is really important. Yeah. I'm a supporter of Unicorn, and I own Unicorn Gold. Thank you very much for 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 that, and uh, and we appreciate you as a as a uh, owner of our tokens and and a, a participant in our ecosystem and somebody who's actively helping us uh, to to build and grow our business. Melton, uh, it's been a pleasure. If anybody yeah. would like to follow uh, Melton Demers on Twitter, you can find her link on our website, use.unicorn.com. 